You're listening to The Cutting Edge, Voices from the AAJ, Episode 3. Hello, everybody. This is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Cutting Edge. We're headed back to India this time for a talk with Stefan Segrist from Switzerland. But first, a bit of news. Hilleberg the Tenmaker has come on board as presenting sponsor for The Cutting Edge for all of 2018. For over 45 years, Hilleberg the Tentmaker has been family-owned and family-run and has specialized exclusively in building strong, lightweight tents never compromising on quality of materials or construction. Hilleberg tents are the go-to choice for discerning outdoor adventurers the world over, especially for those who travel in challenging terrain and conditions and who depend on utter reliability from their equipment. Conceived and developed in northern Sweden, Hilleberg tents are made in Europe, built to last, and offer the ideal balance of high strength, low weight, ease of use, and remarkable comfort. We're very pleased to have their support, and I hope you'll check them out at hilleberg.com. So our guest this time, Stefan Segrist, has probably spent more time climbing in the Kishtwar area of India than any other climber. Five expeditions in the past seven years. This past fall, he teamed up with Thomas Huber and Julian Sanker for a project he'd been eyeing ever since his first trip to the area. Now a few notes about Cerro Kishtwar, the peak we'll be talking about today. It's 6,173 meters high, or about 20,250 feet. It was first climbed back in 1993 by Mick Fowler and Steve Sustad from the UK, before the entire Kishtwar area was closed to climbers. Fowler called it Cerro Kishtwar because he thought it looked like the peaks of Patagonia. Before this fall, it had only been repeated twice, each time by a new route. I spoke to Stefan by Skype from his home near Interlaken, Switzerland. Welcome to the Cutting Edge, Stefan. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay. My name is uh, Stefan Siegerist, and uh, I'm 45 years old, married with kids, and we live uh, close to Interlaken in Rinkenburg, in the Bernese Oberland, here in Switzerland. Nice. Now, how, how many kids do you have? Uh, two. Uh, I have two kids. One is 14, and the other one going to turn seven in uh, two weeks. Do they climb with you? Yeah, the older one actually more in swimming. He competes um, quite a bit. And uh, yeah, the younger one is still quite interested what I'm doing. But yeah, they should do what they like to do. And we try to support them in their passion. Yeah, of course. Now, by my count, you've been to the Kishtwar area of India for... Uh, five times now, starting in 2011. Now, the area was closed to climbing until 2010, right? And you went in 2011. Were you just waiting for it to open? Did, had you already looked at the area? No, actually not. There was a friend of mine who tried to go in 2010, and then um, he got escorted from the military back to Delhi, and but he showed quite nice pictures and then we thought that we're gonna try it the year after and we were lucky enough that we didn't have any problems there so and we realized quickly that it's really nice area quite remote and so that's why i went back again 
and back and back. So what what what, what makes this area so attractive to you? Yeah, first of all, the culture, which is um, you you won't see any like Western influence for the moment, and you're completely alone. There's no tourists, no climbers, and sure, also the the beautiful mountains. A lot of them still unclimbed, and that was actually what I was looking for. A place like that, so that's why we went back. And on your on your very first trip, you climbed Cerro Kishtwar, Is that correct? Yes, on the first trip we climbed the Kishtwar, but more to the right. From there, we had the perfect view to the actual uh, actual north northwest face. We saw the line. Actually, we we had uh, ABC the same place we had it this year. And so we saw we saw this perfect buttress, and but we also knew that it's not something for alpine style. That's something for capsule style, and which mean you would need a lot of more gear and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I I was definitely interested to go back to do that. But before, like I said, I, I was more attracted to unclimbed summits there. Yes, and, and in fact, you have a long history with another peak, the Eiger, right, in its north face. You've done some very hard new routes, some first free ascents. You did the second ascent of the Jeff Lowe route, Metanoia. Do you, do, you off, do you develop a connection with certain places like this, like the Eiger, like Kishwar, and go back over and over again? Yeah, there are, <clears throat> there are some places, like also Patagonia was like 15 times there by now, and I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. How many times? Fifteen. Wow. Yeah, and especially Patagonia, I met a lot of uh, friends, like uh, some natives there, and that became quite important to me. It was like a second home. Now, back to Cerro Kishtwar. So this is a, it's just a fantastic granite buttress on top of a alpine face, and it leads directly to the summit. And this face, this fabulous buttress, has a long history, doesn't it? Some English guys, Brendan Murphy and Andy Perkins, very nearly climbed it in 1991. They spent 17 days on the face and ran out of food and turned around just 100 meters below the top. A very impressive effort. It's a super impressive effort they did, yeah. And um, I was in contact with Andy already in 2011, and he told us uh, the story there. And um, yes, um, very impressive, like how long they stayed there and that they had to turn around just so close to the summit. Did you consider trying to finish their line or did you always have in mind the sort of more direct line that you took to the right? No, actually, we never thought to climb or reclimb their line then it's a bit another style. They were in a big chimney, in a big couloir, a bit more to the left, which is more exposed to object danger. And also, if it snows, you are completely covered there in spin drift. We were more actually attracted to them, to this buttress, and which means you're a bit more to the right. And tell us about the team you went with in this fall in 2017. How, how did this small group come together. Yeah, but um, Thomas Hoover, I I have a long relationship 
first time we met in Patagonia. We also climbed in Patagonia, and then we went to Antarctica, and then uh, yes, and then again in Eiger on uh, Metanoia. He's German, and I'm Swiss, but uh, we soon found out after already the first expedition that. Um, we like to have a lot of fun on expeditions and um, we really got along from the first minute and that's why we we try to climb every year something together yeah <clears throat> and the other one was a uh, julian sanker he is a super nice young um strong climber alpinist and i was already last year with him in a um, in the region, in other valley, but there we were a bit unlucky. Then another friend of us had an accident, and so we, after acclimatization, had kind of turned back home with uh, with our friend, and so we went again this year, and we also going to be together next year on expedition. Was your friend okay in the end? Yeah, um, he just has a dislocated elbow and broken leg but um it was just it's just a bit of hassle to bring him back then uh, <laughs> since <laughs> i'm not so sure since it's so remote uh, yeah it's a bit harder than in other places so is it hard to reach these mountains compared with say other areas of the himalaya is it uh no it's actually it's actually super easy by now we know what the best way is where the best way places are to stop also with the jeeps and stuff. So uh, by now we, we are like in a week. You are up in base camp. I've seen pictures of a of a road that you have to drive along to get there. It looks absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah. This road is uh, definitely is maybe the most dangerous stuff on the whole expedition. <laughs> How long are you on that road where it's so exposed? Yeah, around forty five minutes. No, it's um. <laughs> definitely interesting trip and uh, what i like is definitely is that you you're alone with the with the natives there and you also you also see them what today is quite of unnormal in a short while you have like three different religions who come together like the buddhist the muslims and the Hindis, and they live together, they help each other, and they're, yeah, they're just something you don't see so often anymore. Mm -hmm. So when you got to base camp, did you have other objectives, other goals, or was this face on, on Sarakishtwar always the main goal? You just acclimatized and then went straight to it? Yes, right. Um, we we knew it's not going to be the um, uh, fast climb, so and we had just like a certain time, six weeks for the whole expedition, and we also knew that for all the baggage transport transport we have to do up to ABC, which is quite long, we also gonna need some days, and so we um, yeah, that was definitely our main project. And after that, we were also a bit done. So there was no question that we're going to do something else right. this time. <laughs> and so the wall itself is about a thousand meters high. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. But the lower part, like the first uh, 250 meters, are uh, quite easy. There's just one pitch who is a um, kind of a steep uh, mixed climb. But afterwards, you have another 
two row pitches were quite easy, and then the actual phase starts. So after that, you're on this this buttress, this big wall climb, essentially. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm I'm curious how you found the line. I'm struck by the fact that you were climbing. When I seen the pictures, you're climbing very tiny features on that headwall, little tiny cracks and seams. Did you have, uh, you know, a spotting scope or high resolution photos? How, how did you know where to climb up there? <laughs> no, actually, it. Um... We were a bit disappointed then what we saw from ABC with our binoculars. Uh, we always figured that must be a little cracks or some stuff. But on the face itself, we found out that there were just like other colors of the rock. Oh. <laughs> it looked like, uh, like cracks. And we had like for 35 meters, we had a perfect hand crack and that was it. And that's also the problem uh, we had the first time we actually had two two tries on the face. Um, the first try after three days, we realized on this compact, very compact, uh, solid granite, we're not gonna advance like we planned. Our plan was to climb it in four to five days, and after third days, it became clear there's no way we're gonna summit. And uh, yeah, we had to go back rappelling down go back to base camp to get more food but also more bird peaks in the states they know what bird peaks are these little pythons you use in the rock and at some rope pitches you we could only use bird peaks in from the different sizes and this um, for us quite hard a climbing made it also made us also slow down was it very cold did you get much sun on the face yeah, listen, on the first try, the weather was perfect. And in the afternoon, from 2 o'clock on, we could count with uh, some sun, which was perfect, actually, super nice. Um, but on the second try, unfortunately, we had every afternoon snowfall, which slowed us down even more. And then it became quite cold. So we had temperatures in the morning um, between minus 70 to minus 25 degrees and uh, we also couldn't try our stuff anymore and on the end all of us had quite some uh, frostbites on the feet especially Julian he uh, his feet didn't look so good anymore luckily now he doesn't have to take something away and um, so were you did you have uh, single boots or double boots no, we had a double boot, all of us, all of us so different um, products, which, but uh, there were no difference between the products. <laughs> all of us got, got, uh, got some frostbites. Yeah, no, the biggest problem definitely was that we couldn't dry it and like six days in the face, then it got, with the snow, with the spin drift, everything got pretty wet. Yeah, and you set down to minus 25. That's well, well below zero Fahrenheit. Yeah, and actually, as, as long as you can climb, as you can move, it's okay. But if we had some rope pitches, we needed uh, six hours for 35 meters. And if, you, if you're belaying in that time, it's definitely cold, yeah. Yeah. And were you uh, sleeping in a portal ledge the whole time? Yes, there were. Um, no other places we could uh, dig um, uh, something out to sleep in the face. It was too steep. 
And we even had uh, also kind of problems to find places where we have some, where there was a little ledge where we could find some snow that we could uh, melt ice to water. Mm. And just one ledge for three people is? Yes, uh, one portal ledge. There were two uh, in the first floor and the third one in a hammock down below. And what is the advantage? Uh, I, I think you and, and many people on this kind of climb often choose to go with three people. What is the advantage of climbing with three people on a route like this? It's about the safety. You know, if something happened on the face, then if you're three, there's a much uh, big chance that you get the other person down. If right. you're only two, which means you're alone with the other guy, then it's hard to bring him down. That's um, the first factor. And then on the, on the eight climb, Everybody is doing something. One is leading, the other one is uh, belaying, and the third one is kind of bringing stuff up or start cooking down in portal edge. So it actually works perfectly in, um, if you are three. So it's actually at least as efficient as climbing with two people then? It's definitely, um, yeah, I would say even more efficient. And what you also have to taking consideration is if one guy gets sick then um, if you're only two then it's finished and you can go home if, he, if he's really sick you know and like with three person at least you can do try um, as two or do something else now how high did you get on that first attempt how high on the wall were you uh, we were only like three pitches on the on the main face which um, also the main on the main uh, pillar, you know, below we climbed all the lower part up and then um, had like yeah, now four pitches maybe, and then we had one just on the base. We had the first camp in the portal edge, and then and then we moved it up, and then the night we moved it up, we talked in the portal edge and there. Yeah. We decided that we take the race to go down and try our luck again. And uh, I read somewhere that you had some tendon problems in your hand as well. Was that one of the reasons that you went down? Yeah, that was also one of the reasons, yeah. I had under my left hand, it was uh, super swollen. And I couldn't barely move it anymore. My tendonitis were so strong. And that was... It just, that was just everything kind of against us, and that's what gave us the idea to to go back down. Also, Julian already um, felt his toes not anymore, and so we said, also, then uh, let's go down and um, get equipped, get a, a day of rest, and go back again. Just one day of rest. How how did you feel like you had recovered in your in your hand? With just a few days of you know, just with just a day or two of rest, was that enough? No, it was not. So it was <laughs> the whole <laughs> the whole time it was uh, bothering me a bit. But we had some strong um, cortisone down there, which really helped to get the hand uh, quite a bit better, at least the swelling. And yeah, but stuff can happen, and then neither you you stay in base camp or you go back. Right. 
You know, I was wondering, you know, you're 45 years old. I mean, do you find that it's harder to, um, to, to be, to be fit, to be ready for a climb this serious, um, to recover when you have a problem like that? Actually more, no, I wouldn't say on the expedition itself, it's definitely harder at home that you get enough training with the family, with all the, uh, the earning money as guide and stuff like that. So that you, that you have everything in a balance, but um, on the expedition, sure, you need maybe a bit more um, rest days you should take, but on the end, it's... Um, it's definitely um, the end. It's kind of a mental question if you are ready and if you want to do it. And then, yes, you try your best and give everything. And after the climb, after seven days, then we we were very tired. Yes. Yeah. Did you have you found it? Uh, you know, as you've gotten older and you have a family, have you found it difficult to to maintain the desire for big climbs like this? To 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 be mentally prepared to leave home for six or seven weeks and to try that hard in the mountains? Definitely um, not easy to leave the family, especially the first two weeks. I think at the family, I think of my boys and miss them lots. And then suddenly you are kind of an other world. You still have tried to have contact with the family. And also had to find out some years ago if I can focus still on the mountain or if it's my mind somewhere else and luckily found luckily it worked pretty well that i can not cut it not cut the family off not at all kind of um, really like take it now this is super important and if i don't have my mind here then it's going to be dangerous and then in the wrong place so better um, have the full concentration here now and then come back uh, safely how many days did you end up spending on the second attempt to reach the summit? We were uh, six days again in the in the face. Six days up, and then what? Maybe another day down, or another two days down? No, the last day actually, we um, you know to get out of the face was a bit tricky. Then, uh, if it would be good weather, then. It was too dangerous to go down the lower part, but also if it would be snowing, there um, you would always have the the risk of the avalanches from the spindrift coming down. So there was only we only could have one weather that was if it would be cold with no participation and no sun. Mm-hmm. And the summit day we actually had exactly that weather. First it was sunny and then it got cold. And so we decided to to try to get all the way down the same day. Uh, otherwise, we we didn't have any uh, food and gas anymore. Mm. Anyway, so the risk would be too high for us that we got stuck suddenly there and couldn't get down for another couple of days. And then we we upside all the way down, brought everything down, and then we we arrived camp. ABC in the night. During those days on the climb, was there sort of a, a make or break moment? Was there was there a time when you doubted that it might be possible to finish, and uh, but then found a way? 
Yeah, especially when it started snowing hard, there were it was nearly impossible to climb anymore about the spin drifts, and then we knew it kept going like that. Then, uh, yeah, we're gonna run out of food again. We're gonna run out of time. Which day was that on the climb? It started already on the first day. And then we had every day, we had, except the summit day, we had every day afterwards snowfall. But uh, yeah, we, we just tried to also climb on the on the bad weather, on the spin drift days. And uh, luckily, yeah, it worked out. But there was there were questions if we can make it like that. And the other questions were like um, the feeds from Julian. We were a bit worried that he really going to, that's going to be really bad. And then, uh, yeah, we would need to go down if the risk would be too high to to amputate something. Mm. Did you all participate in that decision? Did you look at his feet and decide together? Or is this his own decision to keep going? No, no, sure. We, in, the, in the evening, we talked about it. Also tried to... That he could that he could stay in the portal edge, you know, in the afternoon and warm up his feet and work on those when we were climbing. So um, yes, we 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 tried to to do a team decision and not let him suffer it himself. Mm. And when did you when did you believe or when did you come to understand that you? that you would succeed? Was it only on the last day or did, did you have a uh, sort of a breakthrough earlier that the, the line became clear or for some way you knew, yeah, we're definitely going to make it? That's a very good question. Then uh, on the last, uh, the last day before summit day, the, Julian and Thomas were climbing late afternoon. I was already down preparing um, some water and I came down, they came down and then they told me it looked now it looks it looks uh, a bit easier now you know and then next morning I was uh, starting leading and in the beginning it didn't um, didn't look much better we were sure it, the terrain was a bit easier but uh, it was a loose rock and then I had my questions if we're going to summit on that day. Then we put kind of all, we knew that we kind of need to summit that day or not. And then um, luckily then the terrain got definitely easier. And then, then we knew on that point now today, um, summit is going to be possible. In the end, did you end up following some of the same terrain that you climbed in 2011? Or was it a completely different route? It was completely different. Just like the last ten meters between the the two summits, it was the same. You know, since it's uh, it's the two summits are connected like on a little ridge, and so we arrived at saddle on this little ridge, and there we climbed to get, we climbed up, which was the, the same ten meters or fifty meters from last time. I see. And what was it like for you to be on top? You must be the only person ever to have stood on top of that mountain twice. Okay, stupid enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, it was definitely great, and um, uh, yes, it was brought also a lot of memory back from 2011, where we climbed with Rob Frost, American photographers. He came with us, and 
but also to be lucky enough to climb this uh, beautiful mountain twice. It was a, a great feeling, very emotional. And did you have a, was it a nice day up there? Did you have, uh, you know, good views and, and comfortable weather or did you just immediately have to start down? No, um, then we were super lucky. Then on that day we had uh, no snowfall um, and um, we were midday, around midday, one o'clock we were on the summit and there was barely wind and uh, just perfect. It was just great. And then slowly the, uh, the clouds were moving in, and which, which gave us then the opportunity to upsail everything down. Mm. And what time did you start down then? Who? I think it was around three o'clock, must be. Yeah. What time does it get dark there? Uh, around seven. Right. So you went long into the night, I imagine. Yeah, it was a it was a long day, but um, yeah, it was our chance. Thanks to Stefan Segrist for sharing this story. And thanks to Hilleberg the Tentmaker for supporting The Cutting Edge. Remember that you can see photos from all of the climbs we talk about on The Cutting Edge at our website. Just Google The Cutting Edge Podcast and you'll find it. Until next time, this is Dougal McDonald, editor of the American Alpine Journal, wishing you happy climbs. 